0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Here we go, Sherry. One, two, three, Let Sherry baby rock your soul.
2: She's gonna help you break the mold. She's super magic, truth be told. got lots and lots of musical Individuality, conviviality, sexuality, quality time on the air, quality time on the air, quality time on the air, with Sherry, cause and
1: effect. Hey guys, it's me, Mandy Dolney. Aunt Sherry passed me the mic today. I am a junior from Milliken. I'm the mental health and wellness branch leader of Milliken's Care, and I'm here to talk about real things that need to be discussed with mental health and eating disorders. Hi,
0: my name is Sandy, and I am a performing artist, writer, person with an eating disorder. I use he-him pronouns, and I have been affiliated with the coalition for a while, so I'm happy to be here to talk to you today.
1: That's so exciting! I'm so excited to talk to you, um, Rebecca. Do you want to introduce yourself as well? Yes. Hi,
3: I'm Rebecca. She/hers pronouns. I am a psychotherapist. I work in out of New York City. I have a private practice. Um, so excited to be here! I work a lot with people with eating disorders, um, so I'm really excited to to join in and and bring my thoughts and hear your thoughts and learn and. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm so excited for this conversation we're about to have. Um, You both are so strong and brave for sharing about eating disorders. And um, that is something I've been working on this semester um, with Millican Care and Sherry, just like being vulnerable and being true to myself. And I'm so excited for the conversations we're going to have So I think we should start off with talking about where eating disorders start for people. My personal story is in second grade, I was almost raped by some boys on the playground. And I didn't realize how much that affected me because those boys after that weren't really reprimanded, I don't think. They just were able to come back to school and just tell me that I was ugly and no one would ever love me. And second grade, Mandy was just like very not able to comprehend that. And then fast forward to sophomore year of high school, I um, had a very abusive and mentally degrading drill team coach, dance team coach. And uh, she would talk about how I didn't fit the costumes correctly and how I was not the right size for the team and said things and specifically said, and your boobs don't fit the costume correctly. And it was a moment of like, why did that just send me to like a weird space? Why did that hurt me so badly? And I sort of remembered. I was like, did that happen in second grade? Did I really get degraded from my body when I was a child who looked no different than any other child? And so I went to my mother and I discussed it, and I, she told me that that actually had happened, and I was just <laughs> had to go to therapy and be like, whoa, whoa. Um. So I was starting to deal with that sophomore year, and then junior year, I was diagnosed with a pain disorder, amplified pain syndrome. And, um, basically you have to go through desensitization therapy where you like rub your arms and hands and tell yourself that you're not in pain, even when you are. And so while that was helpful for the physical pain mentally, that was causing me to, I feel like go backwards and not be able to truthfully be like my body is good and right. Cause I was being, I was telling myself my body is wrong and bad and, I am able to recognize now that like that was super traumatic, and I've had other instances throughout my time where I just realized that I don't love my body. And I remember sophomore year, I started just not eating, and um, I would just not want to eat lunch like ever, and then I would just eat dinner, and I was like, "It's oh, like okay, like I'm still eating," but then I started recognizing I was losing a lot of weight um so that wasn't very good and senior year I was eating but then I got to college and my roommate was just very manipulative and told me things about my body and I realized that I didn't want to not eat because eating is good for me so I would just eat and then I'd puke it all out in the toilet afterwards because I didn't want to not be cool and eat with my friends because in college like you have to try and find those connections and eating is one of the things you can do with people but I would always vomit and I was like this is not healthy it's not good for me and I finally literally this semester was able to recognize how bad some of my eating disorders have been and like COVID was obviously hard for everyone. I I struggled either not eating or eating too much and then purging it. And this semester I've been able to be really vulnerable and raw with people. And what I just shared is like stuff I would not have shared before. But I, I had a meeting for Millican Care, the mental health and wellness branch, where Aunt Sherry was just like, just share, just try. Like if you're comfortable, just share. And I did. And like, I just like cried afterwards because I was just like so relieved to like finally share about my story. And no, I'm not like completely healed from my eating disorder. Like I still have days where I'm struggling, but I'm like, so content with the fact that I'm able to recognize the fact and I have people on my team actively helping me to just remind me that I'm beautiful and I don't need to, um, make myself look a different way just because I think that's what I need to do. Um, I just, yeah, that's my story. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a lot of reasons I am passionate about eating disorders and passionate about that they are. there's different types and it affects people in different ways. Yeah, Sherry. Yeah,
2: I just want to applaud you right now because you can't – and I'm not – listen to me. You walked in and said how brave they were for coming in and talking about it, and look, you are wild. That is what I want to say. So thank you, because I can't get over you right now. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Unmute me. (laughs) Carry on.
1: Does anybody else want to respond? Or Mandy, do you want to finish what you were saying? I think that's all I have to say right now. I'd (laughs) love to hear about other people's (laughs) stories and have more discussions. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really struck
3: now Mandy just by your vulnerability and and your courage in sharing i think something that um i think a lot about in eating disorder treatment and psychotherapy in general is just the the overwhelming shame um and secrecy and isolation um that people experience when they're suffering Um, and you know, the work that I do is, is individual work. And yet we know that connection and community and, um, building solidarity with others in our, in our treatment and in our recovery is what is really, really healing. And so you sharing that right now is like, is golden. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, I think, you know, I sit with people every day who are who are struggling with the same things that you're struggling with and some of the things some of the the ideas that you brought forward are so universal like you know when we talk about where eating disorders begin we're really talking about um ways that people are trying to cope and trying to manage an unmanageable situation right so early trauma um, early trauma that is unrecognized or unseen um, by a caring adult or a caring figure. Um, and it's really the, the individual's attempt to, to function and to manage and to deal with a totally overwhelming um, and unmanageable situation. Um, and so, so the eating and the body obsession or Obsession is maybe the wrong word, but um, hyper focus on that is really um, is really a way to to deal with the, the overwhelming feelings that are that are happening. And so it is it is both a psychological function, right, of what the what the eating and the body image um, hyper focus does, and also then it is then it is re affirmed and um you know in the culture that we live in which upholds a certain body type upholds thinness upholds whiteness upholds um control and perfection and so it is further cemented um in that way so yeah i
0: really appreciate hearing from from everyone here i would say that i mean that a lot of things in your story, Mandy, it's, like parallel mine. I like to joke that there's four main factors in my life that have really fueled my eating disorder, and that's nature, nurture, gender, and theater. <laughs> yeah, I genetically like my family. There's a lot of history of disordered eating. In my family, and that's a nature and nurture thing. I was put on diets as a young child um, because, you know, from a health perspective, we're told that people, uh, you know, need to be a certain body size to be healthy. And so that was the intention of my family. They weren't being as vain. Whereas theater, there is, you know, I have had, I, I grew up in the dance world, there are. Any number of things I've heard over the years that up to and including teaching me how to use behaviors um, that I definitely disavow and hope for better of the dance world for everyone. And then when it comes to my experience, like as a man, as a man of trans experience with my eating disorder, there are very specific ways that that works, especially in the theater world where there is an idealized body type. Obviously, there are standards of appearance everywhere for every gender, but for theater, it's even more high stakes that men need to be slim and muscular. And um, in the leading up to my going to treatment, exercise was such a big problem that I was basically given an ultimatum: of I can go to residential. Or I can cool it with being at the gym with my whole free time. Because it's it's something that people don't necessarily realize because we're told, like, working out is good for you. It is. To a point. You start to lose, like, vital, like, things if you spend all of your time working out. And that is something that people don't necessarily realize. Um... And I appreciate the opportunity to point out, like a very, like unspoken, underrepresented experience um, within even talking about eating disorders.
1: Sandy, you talked about the want to exercise constantly, and I think that's really important to discuss because we think about eating disorders like in society a lot of times it's just one thing or the other it's not um talking about other ways but eating disorders is anything that's unhealthy for your body yes college is terrible for body image uh i'm in a school that i'm majoring in theater and dance and I've had professors tell me that I'm too fat or they, to quote, was you either need to gain or lose weight because no one wants to cast anyone in the middle, Um, which is really hard for someone who has suffered with eating disorders throughout the years, but also for people that just don't need to hear that, especially when there's no nutritional or good reason for the professor to tell me that. College is, we all get to college and everyone's like, well, the freshman 15, everyone's going to gain 15 pounds. And so it's this thing where like no one wants to gain weight because you don't want to have the freshman 15. People that gain the weight are like, oh, you got the freshman 15. But then a lot of people lose a ton of weight, they lose 15 pounds. And just the fact that we are all so focused on each other's bodies all the time, I feel it's more of a discussion since I got to college. And that's when I was able to really recognize that I had an issue with food and my body. Um, and like Sandy, I'm a dancer. I've danced for a really long time. It was my like form of expression. And I've been pretty lucky that most of my dance professors have not been judgmental about my body, but even them just discussing, well, this looks good on someone's body that looks nothing like mine. I'm like, well, how am I going to execute that if my body looks nothing like that? It's just constantly focusing on each other's bodies that I think is damaging for a lot of people. I think that we look at each other and we either make sure we want that body or we don't want that body which is also a really toxic thing we see others and we strive to have this certain look which is not reasonable or healthy especially with the fact that everyone's built differently and everyone intakes food differently and does different ways to be physically active and I think that It's interesting that we all are so different, yet people want just one thing. Um, I feel as if my society that I live in sort of romanticizes eating disorder culture, especially on social media, and um, a lot of people just are like, oh, I want to be anorexic so I can lose 20 pounds, and romanticizing an eating disorder is never the way to, like, be. But I don't think people are doing it maliciously. I think they just think it's an okay thing to say.
0: So I've often talked about how there is a continuum within the theater community of people who have clinical-level eating disorders, people who have disordered eating habits, and then people who have aspirational, like, attitudes towards eating disorder culture or, or towards diet culture or towards eating disorders in general. Like, that is the, the three main categories that I find, besides people who are intuitive eaters not bothered by diet culture. Like, that's a separate category. But those three levels, I think, exist. Um, and I encountered that in college, I encounter it even harder now in the industry in New York City. Um, Even people offstage, my gosh. I was working on this concert where we were there for like over 12-hour days. And, uh, you know, we ate together and people saw me not eating. And they were like so impressed. And it's not something to be impressed about. I was sad because I wanted to eat but my eating disorder voice or that part of me wouldn't let me eat around theater people because then they'll know I eat, which is sounds ridiculous. (laughs) It does. Um, But meanwhile, they're like, Oh man, I'm so jealous. Like you're doing so great. Teach me your secrets, to not be hungry. It's like, don't reinforce that.
3: Yeah. I think something that I say a lot to my clients is, uh, we, we live in a disordered eating world um, to sort of reduce the shame and the pathology around an eating disorder. Like as Mandy and Sandy have each spoken to, there is entrenched societal and cultural messages that reinforce and uphold um, forcing one's body to look a certain way. Um, and and so we are just dis- we are disordered as a society and as a culture, um, and you know I think another thing that both of you pointed to, which I think is really important to talk about, which is the spectrum of of eating disorders, right? And and really something that I that I talk a lot to my clients about is you know how much space is this taking up in your brain, and how intrusive is this? And, and when do I, when do I really need to get help? Um, and it sounds like in the, in the theater culture that you each are entrenched in, there is like, there is a celebration <laughs> of, of like habits and of ways of being that, um, might make it really counter or really challenging to say, okay, wait, hold on something this is not right. This is, this is really impact. This is negatively impacting my life, my school, my work, uh, my health, um, my spiritual, my psychological, my emotional life.
0: Another thing I've noticed at the industry level, um, both in theater and in film, especially film, but both is high functioning. Being high functioning with these behaviors is rewarded um, when people are able to drastically change their body shape, although in most, occasionally it's to gain weight, but usually not. In fact, in theater, if somebody gains weight with age, which is a normal healthy thing that happens to people, people will say that they've let themselves go, which is Mm -hmm. what happens when you put value judgments on losing weight, then you put value judgments on gaining weight, but no, but the idea of being, you know, rewarded for that ability to lose weight to an extreme but then be high functioning enough to perform that is something that is so normalized um there's like entire articles of people being interviewed being like how did you do it and that I just don't want that for the kids no
1: (laughs) yeah romanticizing eating disorders is such a thing especially in theater uh we like you said, people will gain or lose weight for a role, a lot of times losing weight, and then they still are expected to do these crazy routines or these hour-and-a-half-long performances, and their body is not healthy currently, and it's kind of scary to think that this is the reality, and I, I'm i such an advocate for change. I cannot fathom having the next generation feel the way that I feel like mine did, especially for performing because performing is our happy place, right? Like that's where we want to be, but it's also such a toxic place so many times. And people talk about the perfect Broadway body, but that doesn't exist, There's not a perfect Broadway body. It's whatever body is able to perform and be healthy and you feel good in. And I wish we would recognize that and not hold people to this one standard of this is what we need to look like to be this performance. Like it's just toxic. That's the word. It's just
3: toxic. Something that I think about a lot. Which you're, which you're touching on is how eating disorders are both um, like hyper focused on body and also totally disembodied. And so, when you think about performing and you think about like bringing yourself and your voice and your movements, like that is an embodied, like full, beautiful expression of creativity and of love. And that requires nu- nutrients so that requires like deep care and love for your body. And like you said, Mandy, it's your happy place. Like it is a beautiful place that you go to express yourself. Um, and so when there's also a simultaneous culture of like really not listening to your body and really like disrespecting your body, that's cognitively really confusing. (laughs) Um, and there's dissonance there. And I think the, the other thing that I really wanted to, to note is, you know, we've been talking about a lot about culture and a lot about, you know, ways to make your body look a certain or look thin, or, um, I think it's also really important to to talk about the like psychological function or like what the eating disorder is trying to do for someone's emotional life. Um, And at the core of it, really it's like someone has had an experience that or several experiences, right. That require tending to require healing, require emotional processing, require care, like whether it's a traumatic event or series of traumatic events or a relationship or whatever it is like that really need space and need time and need healing and need tools to move through and emotionally process. Right. And an eating disorder sort of comes in and is like, I'm going to sort of be the, be the band-aid or be the way that you can survive um, because of those unmanaged or those overwhelming feelings. And so I think it's, it's really important when I talk about eating disorder recovery to really honor like the way that the body is trying so desperately to, to protect itself and to like move through um, a difficult psychological experience. Um, and that healing really comes from both honoring that original coping mechanism that is actually no longer serving you or is actually causing suffering.
0: So I was, I was about to say also like from a not like divorce from body image, but still related to theater culture. We are a culture of rejection. In addition to like anyone's personal issues, there's also just a widespread amount of rejection and wanting that safety and I know people who have non-restrictive, non-compensatory eating disorders, meaning binge eating disorder or, you know, like other like compulsive eating habits that have arisen out of that. And that's because there's an even if it is a restrictive or any other form, it's because they need safety. Mm-hmm. And that is a maladaptive coping mechanism that they've found for that safety in a very unpredictable Scary rejection field, but rejection filled field. That's just what it is.
1: Yeah. So COVID has affected everyone's bodies, no matter small or large, in mental and physical ways. How do we think that we can actively recover from COVID's way it affected our body? Do we think that COVID was a place that people were able to heal? Or do you think that it was more harmful to a lot of people? And by COVID I mean quarantine esque. Um did that harm a lot of people? Do you think a lot of people developed or fell back into unhealthy habits? Or do you think people were able to discover comfort? I know that I I fell back into bad habits. I was back home and i'm luckily in a house that's really great and my parents and my little brother are amazing but just being back home where every day i would come to my room and puke was very toxic for me and i had to like change things around in my room just to disconnect from those toxic memories but I was still able to, I was able to recognize that this was bad for me and some, I would try and journal about it. That was one thing that a lot of people have suggested was just journaling um, because taking a food diary and then not talking about it is kind of not great for me. Um, so there was one point in co- or quarantine that I was like, yeah, I am on top of this. And then the next day, like a little thing I feel like triggered me and I feel like I went 10 steps back and I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. Like I, Rebecca, you, um, are a clinical social work therapist. Can you talk a little bit about how COVID quarantine has affected people in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't been
3: good. <laughs> what to say? Um, I mean, if you look at the past year, I think we have collectively, as a as a world, gone through a trauma, several traumas, right? And so I think everybody's systems are on alert. Everyone's systems are on overdrive. There is a like complete overwhelm of and just an increase of stress in what we're dealing with. We're dealing with isolation. We're dealing with the fear of a pandemic of death. We're dealing with um, joblessness, right? We're dealing with um, just like ongoing (laughs) social justice movements and police brutality. Like we're, we're, it's just heightened, super heightened. So I would say, yeah, uh, many people are, seeing, um, an increase in their symptoms, increase in the way that they know how to deal with the stress. Um, and so a a lot of that also has, like you said, moving back home, being with family for you, Mandy, maybe that is a a positive or a nourishing environment for a lot of people. It's not a lot of people. It's going back to sort of an original place where this, just this eating disorder started. Um, so it can be, you know, add even more triggers for people. Um, That said, I think for anybody, not just any someone with an eating disorder, it's like we know that there's increased stress. So we have to just resource ourselves more. Right. And so I, I talk a lot to my clients about, you know, everyone is struggling. So how do we put supports in place to increase your, your, your resources, right? And, and to support you more because this is real and yeah.
0: So, um, for me personally, throughout quarantine, it's varied because there have been times that were rough. I tried three weeks back at my parents' house. Um, and it just couldn't work for, for us. Um, given the fact that we all have various levels of like disordered habits and just wasn't going to work. But I still like love them very much. We still talk. That's not the issue. Uh, But yeah, I came back to the city and when I did, there was like that increased isolation, which has been a bit of a gift and a bit of a setback at times. But what's so cool, even when I've had rough stuff is that I have learned exactly how far I've come in this recovery process um there are some people I saw who are actively like in their eating disorders who are like constantly messaging like or tweeting at like the governor to open up the gyms all day long every day and I was just like here vibing knowing that yeah there's a little piece of me that's uncomfortable but like I can do this. I don't have to be in a gym right now. There is a global pandemic. Being able to feel my brain, you know, get more adjusted to like other things that aren't my eating disorder has been really refreshing for me.
2: So would you say that your artistry is a place that is a that you could that is a place to source? some of those things. That's like a a healthy place. Yeah. So, um, and, and Sandy for you, what is that?
0: I mean, I've been able to write a lot during quarantine. I've been able to continue like singing and I've been taking dance classes on zoom, but not too many. Don't worry about me. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I, I've been able to, cultivate that without you know over over taxing myself and as much as like I am devastated that all of this is going on it has been a nice reframe at times
3: I think also one positive that has come from this is that treatment is more accessible right people can zoom or FaceTime or whatever their therapist they can they can get connected to help in a way that um, maybe wasn't as accessible before. And so I think that, that that has really that's really changing the field and that's really increased people's ability to to be resourced in this challenging time. And also Sandy what you're saying about like looking outward, right? Like there's something that's incredibly important and powerful about eating dis- in eating disorder recovery where there is a, you know, to move towards a sense of collectivity and like we are all in this together and there's something greater outside of myself that I can be passionate about and connected to. Like whether that's Black Lives Matter movement or whether that's like caring for like the, the global world, that, that is an important piece of recovery which is like connecting to some to something outside of oneself
1: something I think that is going to be important after this pandemic hopefully ends sometime in the near future is recognizing that for theater artists specifically when we come back everyone's bodies are going to be differently and if someone gained or lost weight it's not that they didn't care about themselves during the pandemic because everyone's bodies are going to look different when we come back. And Broadway and national tours and regional theaters and even community and school needs to recognize that everyone has, like Rebecca said, been hit by a trauma this year. And things are going to have to be a little different when we come back. We're going to have to be okay with people being not the same person they were when we left in March and that is something that a lot of the upperclassmen talk about constantly because we're told that we need to look and be a certain way to go into this industry but I question because the industry is not happening right now How do we know what we need to look like and act like and dance like until we get back into a sense of normalcy in creating art? That's just a question that I constantly have at my school, but also a lot of my friends programs across the nation. We all are feeling sort of the same things, just we're going out into the industry in the next four years or less. And how do we know what's okay, especially after this global pandemic that we're all in together? Yeah. I think,
3: I think we're at a point of real reckoning, like in our collective consciousness. And so I think there's such an opportunity to dream and to imagine how we want to live differently in all areas of our lives. And that means like doing things and saying things in the way that we want or in a way that we could have never imagined before. But I do really think I I really, that really resonates me like we are in a moment of deep reckoning with the way things have been.
0: One of the other things that I think we might have to reframe is, you know, obviously like, when we use the term industry, it is an industry, but there are theaters aside from Broadway. And I imagine that they're going to be leading the change before Broadway gets there, which means that people have been doing the work, will continue to be doing the work and will get there far before the most commercial and widespread, you know, part of our industry gets there. Like I know for a fact that there are definitely people who are more ready to have these conversations and have been having them and then are going to put out the work excellently when we come back much sooner.
1: I know that Milliken's Mental Health and Wellness Branch of Care is actively trying to get a licensed nutritionist and um, just like a program into our theater and dance program to help talk about healthy ways that We can fuel our body if we need to change our body to feel better, how to do that. And we're in the first steps of that process. But I feel like we all had a little fire when we came back to school and recognized that we're all different. We all need to accept that. And I'm hoping that if colleges can start having that change, like my small university if we can even have the change of having an actual healthy way to talk about that um that things will change up and up because of our generations just coming through with new ideas and new wants and realizing that all bodies are broadway bodies and all bodies are beautiful and yeah every time I talk about my eating disorder and just bringing it up with people I feel even more at peace with myself and not angry with myself and it's hard but being vulnerable is really good for me and my growth as a person. <laughs> I, and what a role model you are. I mean, can you believe this little
2: angel baby? College, junior. I mean, you're incredible.
1: Thanks, Sherry. Yeah. I, I really appreciate everyone that had a conversation today. Rebecca and Sandy, you created a safe space for me. And I really, really, really appreciate that. I learned more than i knew and i just have more fire in my little booty to make <laughs> a change in this world and sherry thanks for passing the mic to me you're amazing you're amazing uh thanks broadway podcast network and Brittany for letting all of us do this and talk about things that need to be talked about uh, i really really appreciate you all you all are amazing Thank you so
3: much for having me. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Sandy and Mandy. It was such an honor to be with you and to hear your stories and to include me.
2: So thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you. everyone. Thank you, Sandy. Thanks everybody for listening. Hey, everybody. It's Sherry Sanders. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause and Effect. Cause and Effect is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and music by Courtney Bassett and Andrew Swackhammer of Starbird and the Phoenix. Special thanks to Stephen Ferrazzi. Thank you. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream. You should also follow me on Instagram <laughs> at Rock the Audition. And to learn more, visit bpn.fm backslash cause and effect. Peace.